We're going to look this morning at verses 3 and 4. Just two short verses, but there's a lot in there. So we're going to spend some time in that this morning. And it's wonderful that we have a time where we can get together during the week and to be able to get around God's Word and hear from Him. That's the goal, just to hear from, the, hear from Him. So let's stand together as we read these two verses in honor of His Word. Jude, verses 3 and 4 says this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed that long ago were designated for this condemnation godly people who per, ungodly people. I'm going to read that again. I used to be able to read. It was really it was really good times so when I used to be able to read. That was fun. Verse 4, take 2. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Before I get into this, actually, I have, I'm, I'm terrible at multitasking. There was one time at my previous church, we were doing a, uh, having a Wednesday night, and I was leading from the piano like I normally do on Sunday night at members' meeting. And I was thinking about something else while I was singing and playing, and so I sang the same verse twice. So that was fun. And I, I've, I found myself thinking about what I was getting ready to say while I was reading this. So it's really just a good idea, especially for us men, to stay on task. Just do, do that one thing, and um, otherwise you'll do two things really, really badly. So in our day, and especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, in an effort to be nice, winsome, and just to try not to offend anybody, we end up pulling back on what we believe because we don't want to cause any anybody to just get off track. However, when we are talking with other people, like especially in major cities, and we've said this before, but they don't have any problem telling us what they believe. And it may be something that to you may seem just really, really out there. Well, I just want to remind you, and I've seen this happen whenever I've done funerals in other places, you know, that aren't churches where there's a lot of different beliefs that are there. Other people, other people who listen to what we have to say about a dead, buried, and risen Savior, it sounds out there to them too. But we have to hold on to what we hold on to, and not be, and, and not pull back on what we hold hold to, and what we believe. In fact, we will fight for that, and we will contend for that, which means a great deal to us. If family means a great deal to us, then we're going to contend to everything that's going to get that may get in the way of that. If school means a lot to us, our jobs, um, a political ideology, we will fight for those things that we believe mean a great deal uh, to us. And so, when we're looking at this passage here, um, the, the really the main portion that's here is talking about that he found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. To contend means to struggle 
for, to earnestly and consistently and constantly urge. The faith that's being talked about, which we'll get into a little bit more later on, is not just faith, meaning how, what, what you, how strongly you believe something to be true. The faith is the content of everything that God has revealed. Specifically, everything that God has revealed in your salvation and in the salvation of his people. That's what we are contending for, the faith. It doesn't say to contend for faith. It says to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. So I was listening to a sermon on this by Alistair Begg, and he reminded me of, some of you may know about the Phillips paraphrase, the J.B. Phillips paraphrase. Well, this is how J.B. Phillips paraphrased this passage. I fully intended, dear friends, to write to you about our common salvation, but I feel compelled to make my letter to you an earnest appeal to put up a real fight for the faith. Are you with me? A real fight for the faith, which has once and for all been, which is once and for all committed to those who belong to Christ. For there are men who have surreptitiously entered the church, but who have for a long time been heading straight for condemnation. And I, the, and I shall give condemnation that I shall plainly give them. When they have no real reverence for God and they abuse his grace as an opportunity, as an opportunity for the immorality, and they will, they will not recognize the only master, Jesus Christ our Lord. Put up a real fight for the faith. There's a lot of different angles we're going to get at this morning, uh, one more than the others, but I th- what he's not saying is for you to be contentious about the faith, to be ugly about it. I went and visited my daughter up in Boulder, and she was in class one day, and there were some, I don't know how well-meaning those evangelists were, but they were standing outside one of the classrooms with a Bible, and they were screaming specifically at using the Bible, screaming specifically at specific sins this specific person was committing. And so that was being contentious. We don't do that. We don't blow up abortion clinics. We don't start riots. We don't do what maybe others may do when their particular uh, prophet or their particular religious head um, is being depicted some way. We don't go out in the streets. We don't do that. What we do is we contend. For the faith, once and for all, delivered to the saints. We look at Jesus as a model on what he did and how he operated based upon relationships that are developed, not contentious relationships that, are, that, that, that tend to undermine everything that Jesus was trying to do. So when we're talking about fighting for the faith, it is making sure that we are standing tra- tall for Christ in a world that wants to undermine him. But more than that, when you look at this, we're standing tall for Christ, maybe even with people who are church members and church folks that are attending that want to undermine this. Because if you look here, not to get too far ahead, but I've already read this, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Crept in where? The churches. The churches. And so in order for us to be able to contend for the faith, we got to know what the faith is. And by and large, us Southern Baptists have not really been doing that well. We're very active. But when when it talks about the doctrine and the teachings of the Scriptures, sadly, we have come up short. And there has been study upon study upon study of this. So what do we look at? Well, let's, let's get to what 
the, the points are for the morning. First, we contend because of the salvation that we have in common. We contend because of the salvation that we have in common. So last week we looked at Jude 1 and 2, and he talked about in the opening remarks where he's talking about in the opening um, introduction, he's talking to the Christians that are being talked to as called, beloved, and kept. All initiated by God. We are kept by Him, we are called by God, and we are loved by Him. He is the one that initiated that, not us. We're the recipients of it, we're the beneficiaries of it, but He's the one that started it. And I'm glad for that, otherwise we would be in some serious deep weeds. But He started that. And so when He starts off beloved, He is reminding them again, in very quick order, this is who you are. It's a covenant term. You are now brought into the people of God, beloved. And then he says here, I was very eager to write to you about something else. I would love to have understood what he was wanting to write about. But the fact is, is that he felt compelled to do just that. And when God puts a calling upon us, there are responsibilities and and. I guess, desires and yearnings that we may have to fulfill that calling. I was talking with Tyler this morning. There's this calling that he and I share about going into the ministry, and there's nothing else that we want to do. There's nothing Because that's a desire that God has given to us. And so when you're beloved, you're part of the covenant community, and now Jude is saying, look, I'm going to write to you something. I was going to write to you about this, but I'm going to write to you about this, but I'm still going to write to you. I'm not going to keep it inside. Spurgeon in an 1881 sermon who was commenting on this passage said this, the apostle did not write for writing's sake. And in this he sets us an example. We are not to speak for speaking's sake or even to preach for preaching's sake. When we take upon us to write concerning divine things, it ought to be because it is needful for us to write. And when we speak in the name of God, it should be because we have something to say which is needful and should be said. Unless a man feels an imperative necessity to speak, he will not speak as an ambassador of God. That's what God, so there, there's this, and so maybe God puts something on you as a teacher, as a Christian, that I need to write this letter, I need to make this phone call, I need to, I need to get this part of my life right. Well, that's God by the Holy Spirit impressing up on you to, to get your act together and to get it right because he's there to empower you to get your act together what he's called us to do. So Jude is an ambassador. He's a servant of Jesus Christ, and he has surrendered himself to whatever God called him to do and say. And so here he is, he's writing. And what he's writing about initially was about our common salvation. Now, I think even though he didn't write about that now, it certainly is important for us to understand this. We have a common salvation that does not, is not based upon color of skin, the amount of money in a bank account, your educational and intellectual prowess, your political party, or anything else, anything else, anything else. Don't take my word for it. Twice, the Apostle Paul writes this to two different churches. One, to the church in, Cor- in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. There's that word again about calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Can we get an amen? Right? Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. <clears throat> God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the, the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Do you find yourself boasting about your giftings? Do you find yourself boasting about your, your educational places and how many letters you got behind your name? You find yourself boasting and boasting and look at, look at me. Just try to position yourself and jockey for, for that position so that when you're in a room, people are like, oh, he's here. She's here. Well, now we're going to be able to get something done. We got to be careful about that. Wise or not, powerful or not, noble birth or not, all in Christ have a common salvation. We are his and he is ours. Galatians 3, 26 to 29, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's where the son's piece comes in. That's not a patriarchal type of thing. That is all, because back then only sons could inherit. But now we are all sons in that we have an inheritance according to his promise. Not our actions, but according to his promise. And there's other places that talk about this. We could read over and over about this, but far off or near, Jew or Gentile, Christ brings us together. He is our peace. He's, we're a recipient of his mercy. We're a recipient of his love. Our nation wants to break us up into groups. Oh, you're a capitalist. You're a socialist. Oh, you're a Democrat. Oh, you're a, you're a Republican. You're a progressive. You're conservative. Oh, I see the color of your skin. You must be this. I see the color of your skin. You must be this. Our society wants to break us up into these groups and label us and then hurt us. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ deals with us as individuals? And then he brings us together and we become identified as this. Christian, kingdom kids, we are his, and he is ours. Vesta Kelly once noted that snowflakes are of one's, uh, uh, snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things, but look at what they can do when they stick together. <laughs> and I love that because each of us were very weak by ourselves, but look what happens when the people of God stick together and recognize their common salvation. Secondly, we contend for the faith that he has delivered, and that's where we get to the point of what he's writing about. Everything else that he writes after this is a reminder for us to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered. It was not something that we figured out. Everybody with me? Because I think sometimes some people are like, you know, well, once they figure it out, they'll come to Jesus. Well, what happens is, is that he's the one that transforms our minds and hearts to receive it, and then he delivers the content of the gospel to us to be able to understand. And so over and over we see this in Scripture, but I love this little question. It's a rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive, spiritually speaking? And honestly, anything. Think about your job. 
I was having to remind my, my children of this every so often. I, I, I remind them of this, where it's like, think about your job, you know, the, and, and you, God opened the door for you to have that job. God gave you the strength to be able to do that job. God gave you the mind to be able to do that job. He's going to give you and allow you to have money to be able to pay the bills for those responsibilities that you have. So uh, there's times when we may think, look what I did. Look at my skills. But is there really anything that we have that we did not ultimately receive, especially our salvation? Because if you think it was about you, one, I would just encourage, encourage you to read your Bible. Because when he says we're sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, there's none righteous, no, not one. None seeks after him. All have gone astray. We have an inability to be able to go after him. Not only is our mind hostile to it, it not only does not seek the things of God, Romans 8 says, it cannot. We don't have that capability in and of ourselves. And here he comes, delivering to us and to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives the content of our faith. James 1, 16 to 18 says, Do not be as deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Of his own will. No cooperation. His own will made this happen. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we've been going through and looking at funeral. um, I'm going through and, and putting together two messages for this week. It seems like this time of year, every fall, we have this happen. And we're coming along and trying to find scriptures and songs and, and other ways to be able to bring, be of comfort, not only to those who are here, that I say here, they normally sit right here when it comes to the family, but be of comfort to all of us because it's a loss that we all, to a, to a lesser degree, have experienced. But also, when you're in a funeral, or a memorial service, however you want to call it, there is a piece of you that is thinking about your own mortality. You're thinking about, I mean, no matter what your age may be, you're thinking about your own mortality. So I think it's a responsibility for us in selecting the songs and looking at the passages to make sure that we are helping people realize that this is not all there is. There is a life to come. One way or another, there is a life to come. And so 1 Corinthians 15 is always a go-to for me because it's about the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive, we have the opportunity to be alive as well. But that passage starts off in an interesting way. It says in verses 1 and 2, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Now listen to what's being said here. Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, so it was preached, you received, which you received, in which you stand. So the gospel is not simply there for you to get into heaven and then live however you want. Too many of us are doing that. We think it's just, it's just punch the ticket for us to, be, to heaven, and then all of a sudden we, well, we have the freedom to do whatever I want. No, because the gospel not only helps you and, and it's something that you receive, it's something in which you stand. So the, the way that God has called you to lead and, and the way that Jesus has called you to move in the narrow way it's what the gospel is all about as well. That's why Tim Keller always said, the gospel is not the ABC of Christianity. It's the A to Z. It, it permeates all that we are, everything that we do. 
And then he goes on, and by which you are being saved, sanctified, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So everything that God has given to us, it's something that he has given to us, and we are to receive. If we're Christians, we've received it. If we haven't trusted in Christ this morning, you're here, and you haven't done that, yet, then he's offering it. And the question is, will you take it? And I pray that by his strength, you absolutely will. When it talks about once and for all, what does this mean? Well, Peter Helm, in one of his commentaries, he says this, we are not free to change it, the faith. We are to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Once and for all delivered, that means it's done. So he's saying this, we are not free to change it as if the faith is evolving and making its way in the world. It means that the faith is full, but it already exists in final form. It is not subject to change. How nice is it to have something that doesn't change in a world that's changing all the time? How nice is it to have something that doesn't change when you're changing all the time? These pictures that come up on Facebook and Google Photos, and I'm I'm seeing what I looked like two years ago, three, five, ten, twenty years ago. I'm thinking, you know, when my friend visited a couple of weeks ago and she reminded me of what kind of a, a doofus I was, you know, back in, back in the day before I got married and just how irresponsible I was, they thought it was a guess. I didn't, th- I didn't find it funny at all, but, but it was fun. It, it was, you looking back on it, but you think about the pictures that you go about, you're changing physiologically, your thoughts may be changing. You're changing all the time. The world's changing all the time. We need an anchor that is not changing. And thankfully, that's what the faith is. That's what we have here. Lastly, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week, so I'm just going to introduce this portion here. Number three, we contend because of the falsehood that may deceive. Let me spend a few minutes on this. Verse four, for certain people, Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, I got it right this time, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So what's happening here? The, The certain people. It's certain people that are coming into our churches and they're coming in by stealth. And they say the right things, and they do the right things. And if you've been in church, you know the drill on a lot of things. I mean, we, we have our own lexicon about how we say that. Bless you, brother. You know, we, we probably wouldn't say that anywhere else. But somehow, somehow, when we get amongst each other, we have a certain lexicon, a certain grammar that we use, a certain language that we use. Fine. Okay. That's nothing. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that as long as we explain ourselves about what's being talked about. But some can come in and begin to ingratiate themselves with the people that are around them and be just really solid, good, upstanding, you know, good old boy, punch you on the shoulder, let's have a good time type of folks. And little by little, things tend to happen. And what is happening here is that they are perverting the grace of God. Now, this, what do they mean by perverting? Well, the word pervert... Um, we tend to ha- use that word sometime, but we put the emphasis on the other syllable. But that word pervert means to twist, to alter, to change, right? So if something is perverted, that's the idea, is that it is being altered or changed for how it should be and how it was designed to be used. 
So what we're talking about is what, kind, what is happening here with the grace of God? Well, now, this is where we need to know what the content of our faith is. And I mentioned to you that study upon study upon study are showing that we, are, that we as Southern Baptists tend to not be as doctrinally sound as we would like to think. We like being active. We like watching the videos. We should do that. We should be getting out there. We should be giving our money to make sure that the gospel is getting out. The question I have is, do we know what the gospel is? It's not just being a nice guy, helping others be nice people. Mark Twain, that's what he said was, it's a nice guy telling nice people how to be nice people. That's, what, that's how he looked at the church. When in reality, there's something more to that. There's something deeper to that. Have you looked into why, Je- why it was important for Jesus to be born of a virgin? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that he had to live a perfect life when the majority now of people who are in our churches don't think that that's really necessary for him to be? It's perfect. Why did he have to die on a cross? Well, that's for you seminary people to know. I don't need to know that. Oh, do I have to invoke the hogwash mentality of Kentucky that they would tell us that? That is hogwash. You need to know. Why, why is it important that he rose from the dead? Why is it important to understand why the, what the miracles are about? Why is, it, why is it important for us to believe that this is God's holy and perfect word? Why is it important for us to stand? Why can't we just read some Elizabeth Barrett Browning sonnets? I mean, those, those can be inspirational. Why can't we do that? Because that is not what we have received. And he has given this to us, and he has provided apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to be able to equip you for the work of the ministry. This is not simply me on a, I'm not an arena act for you to be entertained. I am a shepherd of God's people, an under-shepherd of God's people, under the great shepherd to equip you to understand his word and to hopefully apply it so you can live it out on Monday through Saturday. Otherwise, I'm just an act. But that's not what God has called us to do and to be. They pervert the grace by saying this, you, since God has saved you and you are under grace, you can do whatever you want. He's okay with it because you made a decision a long time ago and uh, your ticket's punched. And honestly, there's people that come into our churches and they, they're Christians and they believe that. They believe that God is soft. They believe he's Santa Claus. Whatever you want, just sit on my knee, ho, 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 and I'll give it to you as long as you've been a good little boy and girl. But what does Romans say? Well, Romans tells us something different. In Romans 5, some people misuse grace. So let me look here where it talks about this in verses 20 and 21. Now, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So sin, big. Grace, bigger. Now, use your logic, everybody. What if we really sinned? Then we're going to give God an opportunity to really show grace. Do you, see what, do you see what happens? Well, if I sin more, then God's grace will be more. So I'm just helping him out. I'm helping him to show off. But look at what it says in verse, verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Any of your versions say, God forbid? Maybe not. This is kind of a monologue, so I'll, I'll, I'll back off. But by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Listen, if you're a Christian, 
and you are in unrepentant sin, you've got a problem. You've got a problem if it's unrepentant. Now, if you're repentant, then that's then you're going to join the rest of us because we've all done stupid things and we've all been sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done that. But if you're using God's grace to leverage your sin, repent. But if you're using God, looking at God's grace, using it as an opportunity to repent, now you got it. Because we're all in that position. And here God comes along and says, listen, I have rescued you. I sent my son to die on the cross so that I, you would have the strength to be able to get out of that. And what are you saying? Oh, I believe in you, Jesus, but let me have this. No, that's not how it works. He's Lord of all. We sing it. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of my thoughts and my service each day. Jesus is Lord of all. So the content of the faith helps us in the conduct of our lives. And sometimes, and I've talked to people when they have repented and started going Jesus' way. You know what they say? It's, I'm so relieved. Because that, well, you know why? Because that's how you're wired. You're wired as an image bearer of God to go God's way. I'm so relieved. So that's what he's called us to do. And so that's how it can be subtle. And so we're going to spend the next few, next, next couple of weeks you know, looking more at what, the, what, this, what this looks like. But So I, w- I want to talk to you just very quickly. I see the time. Now we've got an event right after that. I'm aware. I, I just want to just let you know and just ask you this. Are you perverting the grace of God and leveraging it for your own sin. It doesn't have to be that way. Jim Croce used to say, he's saying that, that, that little line, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. And so, the Holy Spirit is here this morning through the preaching of the Word, and you've got an opportunity. As the kids say, you've got some decisions to make. And I'm telling you, when you come to Christ and you see what His grace is all about, relief, peace, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. This is all right. I've been waiting for this. I thought I had it figured out. I guess not. Those of you that aren't followers of Jesus, you may be looking at some of us and you're like, well, I live better than you. I've seen how you all are. I've, I live better than you. Well, see, you're relying on you. We're messed up, but we're relying on Jesus. And you're going to find one day that all your good stuff, all the stuff that you did, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to ask you to give an account of your life. Well, Lord, look at what I did. Look at what I did. You know, he's going to ask, who'd you do it for? Did you do it for my glory or yours? Because that's, that's what it's going to shake out as perverting the grace of our Lord, denying Him, His Lordship through sensuality. And, and what we're going to talk about next week a little bit more is the, the sexual immorality. There's some people that were engaging in sexual immorality while still leveraging the grace of God and saying, it's okay. 
And we're going to find out, no, grace is not simply there to rescue you and save you. Grace is there to teach you. More on that next week. But where are you? This could be a morning for you to say, Lord, I am all in. I'm all yours. Top to bottom, in and out, my speech, my thoughts, I repent. I'm broken. I'm living a broken life trying to pretend that I'm okay. I'm not. I'm not. But look at what he has done on your behalf. Look to the cross and find rescue from your brokenness. And then you will quit perverting and denying the lordship of, our, the, the lordship of Christ. And then you will quit denying the grace of our Lord Jesus. So Heavenly Father, so much could be said. But I thank you that we can be here today to be reminded of your grace. Help us, Lord, in the days ahead to realize how subtle it is for us to hold on to, to falsehoods. Help us, Lord, to contend for the faith and the people that we may be contending with are our own selves. But Lord, may you call us to surrender to your Lordship. All that you are, to all, all, that, all that we are, Lord, we give to all that you are. We are your bondservant. We surrender and submit all that we are. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has never trusted in Christ, may this be the morning. If there are those that are here that have said they named the name of Christ, but they know that there are gaps in their lives that needs to be dealt with, Lord, your grace is sufficient. Our power, your power, is made perfect in weakness. Praise God for that. Let this be the morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting ready to sing this wonderful hymn. Tis so sweet. It is sweet to trust in Jesus. There is nothing sweeter that this world can, can provide for us.